Welcome to the Middle East File. I'm Jeremy Barker, Director of the Middle East Action Team at the Religious Freedom Institute. The Middle East File podcast features conversations with authors about publications on a range of issues impacting religious freedom in the Middle East, including governance and security, humanitarian assistance, geopolitics and foreign policy, human rights, and much more. To find more of these conversations and to learn more about the work of the Religious Freedom Institute, visit rfi.org. Today's guest on the Middle East File is Nadine Manza. Nadine is the current chair of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, has been a commissioner at the of the commission since 2018. Her final term will conclude in May of 2022. Uh, Nadine joins us to talk about the just-released 2022 annual report re- produced each year by USERF, and we discuss its uh, key findings, as well as some of the uh, takeaways from this report, trends in religious freedom ra- around the globe, and the particular recommendations they put forward. So uh, we look forward to sharing this episode of the Middle East File with you. And to joining me today is Nadine Manza, the current chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Nadine, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. So you are in the last few days of your time on the U.S. Commission. If we could look for a more experienced person on the commission, I don't know that we could find it. So, so glad that you have joined us to talk about the release of the 2022 annual report from USERF. So to start out, um, just give us a little bit of audience or, or a little bit of context for what is the, the annual report? What's its purpose? Sure. So, you know, each year by May 1st, we're um, mandated um, to, to um, issue a report. And, and the real focus is um, our recommendations to the State Department on um, countries they should de- designate as countries of particular concern, which are those countries that have religious freedom violations that meet systematic, ongoing, egregious um, violations of religious freedom, and then the um, countries to be on their special watch list, which meet two of that three systematic, ongoing, egregious CPC tests. And so really that's been the focus of those countries. So, you know, we currently have 27 countries that we do two pages on, but we also do, um, you know, talk a lot about um, putting it in context. So we have, you know, an opening that explains a little bit more about religious freedom in general. And then we have, um, a section, you know, with key developments going through things like blasphemy laws, transnational repression, um, political he- evil, you know, religious intolerance, anti-Semitism, um, uh, discrimination against Muslims and Jews, um, and so deterioration in South Asia. So, and then we have a section also on the the, the positive things that the U.S. government did, you know, throughout the year, uh, um, taking some of our recommendations. So the report, report's pretty robust, um, and it really gives you a snapshot on both religious freedom and then the U.S. government's um, actions that year um, to advocate for yeah. religious freedom. Yeah, which that's a really important part of the commission is that kind of two-pronged approach. One is looking at the conditions of religious freedom in particular mm-hmm. countries and then U.S. policy on that. 
um, which we'll come to the, the policy questions a little bit later in the conversation. Um, but wanted to ask, yeah, for this report, what are some of the key themes that stood out in this year's report? Well, I think the key, one of the key themes, and I, I'm told this is an abnormal year after year, is that de- conditions continue to t- deteriorate. We only saw three countries that um, had um, conditions increase, and it was slightly. So they're, they're, um, we, and we really just do a snapshot of that January to December. So if you look back for, for my time at the commission, we certainly have seen uh, you know, stunning improvements in Uzbekistan, for instance, but the last 12 months we didn't um, see those kind of um, drastic increases. So, so this year was a little bit more tempered in that um, most stayed the same or got worse, um, just a few got a little bit better. And um, we continue to see, you know, blasphemy be a problem, um, you know, the violence that comes with that to be a problem. So a lot of the consistent things we've seen um, throughout the years we again saw this year. Yeah. Um, for the perhaps the country with maybe the steepest decline um, is the one that's featured on the cover of this year's right. report is, is Afghanistan. Um, from the perspective of, of the commission, um, looking particularly at the religious freedom dimension of all that's been going on in Afghanistan, what really stood out um, in looking at it through that religious freedom lens in particular? Yeah, it really was a, a stunning decline. And this is a country that was um, already a horrible violator of religious freedom two, three years ago. So it, it was, but at least there was space for, for women, um, for religious minorities um, to be able to practice our faith. We'd even had um, Christians who had changed their ID cards before the Taliban took over. So there was some, some freedom that some people still had that hope for a better future. But with the um, Taliban taking over and really forcing a, um, a harsh view of, of Sunni Islam, that even most Muslims are, are at risk because they don't follow this view, has made conditions for, for almost everyone in the country very difficult. But of course, those at most at risk are those religious minorities, really small numbers. But Christians, Ahmadiyya, Sikhs, um, some Baha'is is just um, small numbers of them, but but they're they're certainly at risk right now, and and we have have made a pretty strong recommendation that the administration expand the existing priority to P two designation to allow those um, religious minorities at the highest risk to be able to apply um, to to come to the United States through the immigration program. Yeah, and that's that's been a big a big question for those who have been able to get out or attempting to get out where they where they end up long term. And then the other question is is for those who have stayed, of, mm-hmm. of which there are many. Um, do you see um, religious freedom as a an element of the US's continued engagement in Afghanistan? You know, I know that um, it's certainly a concern the US has. We, they, you know, the they've been interacting with us quite a bit, um, have but certainly don't have that direct relationship with the Taliban the way some other countries do. So they'll need to count on some of um, the countries that, that have relationships with us and Afghanistan in order to push that way. So I certainly do think they're concerned about it, but they haven't included this community in that P2 designation. So um, if, if they are really concerned for this community, these communities, that would be the way that they could show that they are. There's... Yeah, a number of aspects to that of, and and this is something that I think the that the commission does does a really good job with is is having the relationships with those communities to be able to understand 
Um, as you said, it's small numbers, but there's very, very specific threats that, right. that these religious communities face that, that often can get lost in the broader policy discussions on, on places that are as complex as, as Afghanistan. Exactly. Um, so, so Afghanistan is one. Um, what's maybe um, another, um, other countries that stood out as, as particular points of interest for the commission this year's, in this year's report? Well, certainly our recommendation um, for another um, country that we recommended as a country of particular concern that the U.S. government actually removed from their list last year, which is Nigeria, um, that we, we had heard um, rumors that could happen. We had meetings, we sent letters, we did our best to try to communicate that we were hoping that wouldn't happen. And so we were disappointed when they did release um, the countries um, in December 2021 for the country of particular concern list and took... Nigeria off, even though we had recommended it every year since 2009, and it had only been on um, the CPC um, designated for just one year with the State Department. Um, clearly, Nigeria is is a country where you're seeing um, the government tolerate severe religious freedom violations with horrific um, non-state actor violence against religious communities and very little interaction from the government. But you're also seeing the government commit religious freedom violations that are also meet the CPC designation of severe, that was systematic, ongoing, egregious by, by enforcing these blasphemy cases. And we, we had just, you know, heard of, um, of, 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 of one person getting um, 24 years in prison um, for a, a blasphemy charge for insulting Islam. And so these, um, it, it's hard to believe that the U.S. government does not think there are any severe religious freedom violations. So you thought at least they could have taken them to the special watch list, but to remove them completely is, is disappointing. And even this year past our reporting period, we have seen some horrific violence in particular against Christians in Nigeria in 2022. So um, we will keep pushing for the U S government to put them back on the list for their next um, CPC um, designations. Yeah, and that's yeah, Nigeria represents a really interesting example for um, yeah the relationship between the recommendations that USERF puts forward, what the State Department does as the secretary makes the formal designations for that, um, and the type of engagement that can happen around that. And um, obviously, you can speak only from your work on the commission as you look at the kind of criteria for. Making recommendations and evaluating if a country meets the designation for for the CPC list. What does that criteria and what does the evaluation of of conditions look like for making those recommendations? Um, well, we do go through that every year. You know, it, it really is that systematic, ongoing, and egregious test. Um, does it fit all three of those? Um, and and that's why we have the, the tier two list of countries that we're seeing maybe egregious violations of religious freedom, but they're not systematic. Um, they're maybe ongoing and egregious. So it's as some two of the, but not the three of those. So to meet the three, you know, is, is why those 15 are solidly <laughs> countries that the U.S. government needs to acknowledge have severe religious freedom violations. And, um, um, and it's disappointing that we haven't had been on the same page in that respect. Um, and for many administrations, this isn't the first one to not follow our recommendations. I, I believe last year, 13 U.S. senators sent a letter um, 
or the year before, I think it was, uh, it would have been just a, a Secretary Pompeo asking them why they had not followed research recommendations for countries of particular concern. So, you know, clearly Congress sees our recommendations and sees how strong these cases are that we make, that these countries need to be treated differently. And the other side of it that's important to note too is that, you know, um, while um, is, is four of the uh, CPC countries, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan, they get um, waivers. So they don't even have sanctions or any sort of consequence for being listed by the U.S. government as a CPC. And so that's something else that we've brought up. Like, why does T Tajikistan get a pass for being a CPC? How about instead putting together a roadmap with the country of ways that they can improve on religious freedom, working with them, bringing in outside people from civil society to help provide that support. And, wh and why can't we approach these countries a little differently rather than just giving them a waiver, which is kind of giving them a pass for, for being um, violators of religious freedom, severe violators of religious freedom. Yeah, uh, that's a really important point and something that um, colleague wrote about in an article at The Hill um, of yeah, how these CPC designations are viewed, not necessarily, they have the potential to not just be a, a name and shame approach, but the identification of a problem and then the kind of framework for, for moving in a positive direction to, to see something done. And you mentioned waivers that are mm -hmm. been put in place and the, the legislation around IRFA gives not just wave, or not just sanctions, but a number of different actions that, that could be taken. Um, from your time at the commission over the last few years, have you seen any countries where this more constructive approach has been taken um, mm -hmm. both by the government or by civil society and where there's been positive uh, progress made to, to improve religious freedom? Sure. I think both in Uzbekistan and in Kazakhstan, we've seen that approach with a, a roadmap idea, bringing in civil society. I mean, the one thing I have learned at USERF, seeing the, you know, how government acts, interacts with other governments um, and how important that is and how, how like our work together with an ambassador to, you know, in, in the State Department to, to set the table to, to encourage a government to move on some of the laws or to make changes. But, but at the same time, when you're seeing that really, um, when you're seeing that really great progress, what you're going to see is civil society on the ground helping to change um, the culture to, to also be accepting of the religious diversity and religious tolerance and all the things necessary to be able to see a country actually change the way they interact with one another as religious communities. And so the goal isn't just, well, we want laws that match what the international standard, and that's really how we judge a country is, is where we are looking for those international standard laws, but also to have you know, the education done inside the country, um, have um, by folks in the country, I might add, and the, and the important part is raising up leaders in that country and, and be able to move towards freer, better religious freedom conditions. So Uzbekistan has probably been the most stunning change. And even though we recommended them as a, a special watch list this year and we, um, our report like I said, doesn't show great progress in the 12 months. When you look at a broader three months, it's more like three steps forward, you know, one step back, three, you know, th that kind of thing where we are seeing really impressive progress. It's, it's, um, it's not always just a straight, um, straight line there, but what USERF does that's so unique is that we really do document the real conditions on the ground. So we look at a, a country that, um, that is an ally and we, we just say what the conditions are at, at this moment, 
and we don't, you know, look at the bilateral relationship, the security concerns, nothing. Um, so when we look at a country like Saudi Arabia, we're not considering any of that. What we're doing is saying this is what they actually are right now. And this is what and we'll even say what the country's doing outside of their country. Um, and we've talked about the importing. We even had a hearing about the importing of, of um, you know, s- some of their values, extremist values from both Saudi Arabia and Iran and how, how detrimental that has been to religious freedom around the world. So, you know, so we're constantly pointing those kind of things out where the U.S. government has got a little bit of a tougher decision to make where they take our information, but then they have to consider all the other um, decisions. But I'd make the case that it's short-sighted to not include religious media, to push it aside because of security concerns. Because I think what you're going to find is the security concerns aren't going to get better unless religious freedom is at the table anyway. So at some point in time, it benefits the U.S. um, to make sure that religious freedom is a part of their foreign policy with all of these countries. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, and that's there's something that USERP has, I think, expanded within its reports is looking at the ways in which um, the U.S. foreign policy has included, has taken actions on religious yeah. freedom in, in different domains. Um, one of those that was included in this year's report is the um, implementation of some of the recommendations from the or, yeah, the executive order to advance mm. religious religious right. freedom that included in that the uh, the programming on international religious freedom, I think um, put the number at, at $50 million um, across, which as a component of all of the funding that's on um, democracy promotion or, or human rights, that's a small fraction of that, but it's, it's a significant number all the same. Um, from the commission's reporting, have you seen evidence of the impact or, or the outcomes of any of those types of um, engagement within the broader foreign policy or programmatic approaches? That's a really good question. Um, you know, it's really hard for us sometimes to, to get that exact, what the money was spent on and what the outcome was. Um, we found this to be the case with humanitarian assistance, with, with a lot of the support it's, it's hard sometimes to put it together, but we have been assured, you know, that the the, um, the executive order is continuing and that they are continuing to do um, programming on religious freedom. So I'm hoping that, and I do know that that's something that even just the last couple of days ago, um, we had a discussion at, at the commission on how we could better monitor the spending of the U.S. government and the impact it's having. Um, but it's hard. It's not as opaque as it should be. <laughs> so a little more opaque than it should be, I should say. Yeah, yeah, getting that visibility, and I think that this is something that often the the religious freedom um, conditions is something that's not often included within humanitarian or development assistance or or broader um, human rights promotion work, and so that is right. um, yeah, it le- yeah leaves um, some of these questions unanswered, but um, that is is important nonetheless. Well, one, one of our recommendations that um, came in at the very end of our report um, that most people might skip if, if they aren't paying attention, but in the meetings we've had with the Stabilization Department and others at the State Department this year, we, we've learned that so much of their funding decisions are made um, using data and our, our data decisions. And so a lot of the data s- sets they've been using, um, some of them had inclu- included for a small amount of time some religious data on atrocities, mass, you know, in um 
in religious communities, but it was going to end soon, which means how do you, how do you fund if, if your funding is data driven and there's no data on religious communities, then how can you fund on religious communities and, and, yeah. and religious, you know, so, so we went to, to the drawing board um, and, and, and consulted with a lot of folks ended up one of our main recommendations now to the administration is to increase funding for existing data analysis programs that assess atrocities, state fragility and civilian security to extend and expand the collection and analysis of country specific data on religious responses to inform us policy and strategy. So, you know, it is important that, that religious communities and, 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 and what's happening is also connected into this process so that we can get that kind of data. We can find out, we can make sure that funding is going to areas where we can move the needle. Yeah, that's, that's a really important point. And, um, we've seen in a place like, uh, like, Burma, where the the lack of attention to religious dimensions ended up creating the conditions for mass yes. atrocities, and as right. the secretary finally made the determination just recently of, of genocide, and in those early warning systems, um, if they fail to to pick up on the, the religious dimensions, uh, it leaves a a blind spot in in making well-informed decisions to help mitigate or or prevent those types of atrocities. That's right. And so that's why we think it's it's super important. A great example of of, we hope Congress will appropriate more money for data, including religious communities, and um, to to try to avoid those kind of situations we found ourselves in where all this funding and all this work's being done to bring peace or, or just to stop conflict but there, there's no religious components to it so that's just blind and um and, and there's some opportunities there that we could uh, we always talk about trying to prevent and, and stop atrocities we and i do know that that's gonna you know something i keep hearing in the administration is is um this real desire to want to get into a position where they are stopping atrocities before they happen and so this is one of those ways you have to have that kind of information at your fingertips you have to be able to to, to see it um that through with data in order to to um, be able to see those things trending, because that's just the way the government makes decisions. So, um, but you're right. When we look at some of the countries where we've had these horrific conditions, um, we saw them coming. We just couldn't make a case <laughs> that it was coming, but you enough to be able to change the way the governments of the world were interacting with these these countries. And and yet, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Rohingya's citizenship was taken away in the 80s. Like you look through and you can see all this stuff happening, but I don't think we were really monitoring the, the religious communities the way we could have. And so hopefully we get better at that too. And I think that could help with the early warning signs um, that, that we all need to have better access to so that we can cause, you know, raise the alarm when situations are moving in a bad way. Yeah, and the um, the Global Fragility Act and Global Fragility Strategy that just just came out a few weeks ago is another attempt to to get better yes. at that. But that takes this awareness of of the religious dimensions that shape so many of the um, the conflicts that are either active or that are in those um, in those fra- very fragile or um, concerning stages. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned a couple of the, the uh, recommendations from the report. Any last recommendations to to talk about? And then may have one one final question before we wrap up. Well, I think another country we once again um, mention is India, and conditions have only worsened since we first recommended it as CPC. 
Um, it's gotten a lot of attention online. Um, a lot of people try to um, come up with some sort of conspiracy theory on why USERF is making the recommendations. But, but really, you just one could just look at the news and, and see that the mob violence, see legal changes in the government, see government officials targeting religious minorities. You know, and it's, it's all um, coming together and setting up a really scary situation. So we would once again raise the alarm. You know, we hope the U.S. government is is interacting with the government of India on this. We know so much of this needs to be done privately. We don't, we, we, we understand that and don't expect to always know what's happening behind the scenes, but we do hope that, um, that India will, will, will be put on the country particular concern list and that the U S government will work behind the scenes to try to move the government back to a place for so many years. It was a, a country just known for their, their tolerance and, and, and their diversity of religious communities. And, and we would like to see it go back to, to being that way again. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, a, another important test case that, that shows that, um, yeah, if there's progress that doesn't include uh, protections for the religious freedom of all of your communities, it'll end up um, setting the conditions where everyone sees their risks um, put that's out. It. That's right. And for a country that economics is so important to them, I can't believe this is helping them economically. So it makes no sense to me that, that people would be embracing these policies when it's, it's only going to hurt um, every aspect of, of um, uh, quality of life for the people of India. So we really think we're, you know, all of these countries, you know, I think it's important when we talk about them as a country that whether it be China or you know, India, Nigeria, that really, you know, we're on the side of the people that we're rooting for them. It's, it's really a matter of the government making different changes so that they could just experience religious freedom and follow their conscience. Yeah. And it's a, it's not only a, a principle, a right thing to do, but it's also a strategic and, and beneficial yeah, smart thing, thing to, do. to protect right. religious freedom. Um, exactly. Well, as we wrap this up um, from your time on the commission, what is, is a, le- a lesson or an experience that, that stands out to you um, most <laughs> so from, many. from your last meet? <laughs> so many wonderful experiences, really meeting amazing people that have, you know, fought for their own community. So many of them aren't well known, but that have been brave in their own communities, standing up for religious freedom. Um, you know, th- those are the folks that, that, that stick with me in all the countries I visited, whether it be, you know, Egypt, Iraq, Syria, Uzbekistan, um, and um, you know, and obviously, I've, I've spent a, talked a lot about Northeast Syria, and you know, being in in Raqqa and the ISIS Caliphate headquarters, and in meeting with you know religious communities that that talk about how they em- embrace tolerance, and I just was in January meeting with a, a, a tribe an Arab tribe talking about how they have a religious freedom club for their young people, you know, these, to, to see, to see that kind of change in such a dramatic amount of time, is it really encouraging to me? And when I look at that, you know, it really government, um, it, it's the grassroots ha, has a lot, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in changing people's at the grassroots levels view of one another views of re, different religions. And there's so many different ways to do it. And I don't think we always have, it's not like we can walk in and say, oh, this is what you need to do to, to make religious freedom conditions better. I think that the people on the ground have the best resources on how to do that. And they just need people to come alongside them and support them as they do that. But I think that to me, the one thing I've learned probably the most is that it, is that importance of, of really the working together of the, the civil society and, and government and how these are, um, every country has a different 
you know, different set of problems and different set of solutions. So it's not like cookie cutter and in really bringing together these minds together is, is the best way to move the needle forward. So it's really given me, if anything, a bigger appreciation for civil society and in the work that I've seen done on the ground that has really had an impact on people's ability to practice their own faith and how important it is to make sure that those people on the ground are supported. Yeah, um, I fully resonate with that. And when you get to spend time with people who have felt the the most severe consequences of <laughs> of these rights being taken away, it, it really reminds us of, of just how important and vital this issue is. It's not just a, a policy disc- discussion, but it uh, impacts real people's lives and real communities. And That's exactly right. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Nadine, for, for your time today, for your work as a commissioner on, on the U.S. Commission. So thank you very much and look forward to the next time our paths cross. Look forward to it. Thanks again for having me.